you got to slow down. You got to slow down. You move too fast. Even the world gets this, right? I mean, even the world understands this. Simon and Garfunkel, not exactly the icons of Christian music, although they did make that important advice, give that important advice to Mrs. Robinson. Jesus holds a place for those who pray. Even the world gets this, that we're going too fast. You know, around the time of the 1964 World's Fair, sociologists in America began to get very concerned about the future of our society, and here's why. They saw displayed at the 1964 World's Fair so many inventions that were going to revolutionize our future, like the microwave oven, mainframe computers that filled the room, <laughs> uh, the possibility of a phone that you could take wherever you wanted to go and you didn't need a wire? I know. And it was so intriguing because the promise of all of these inventions was it's going to save us so much time. And sociologists began to get worried about what was going to happen to American culture with so much free time on our hands. They were predicting, are you ready for this, a three-day work week. In reality, none of that has proven to be true, has it? Not, none of that has proven to be true. That we have not been blessed with more free time, but we've become enslaved to the very devices that were said are going to set us free. Who knows what I'm talking about? We are not more rested. We are less rested than in 1964. We are not more relaxed. We are more stressed. We are not more at peace. We are more anxious. We are not more filled with purpose because of all this time we have for reflection. <laughs> we are less so. None of this has proven to be true. Our time has all but gotten away from us. Who knows what I'm talking about? And the counsel of the world has not proven to be helpful. Generally, the council of the world says, speaks this into our culture. You need to learn how to work smarter, not... You know this stuff, right? You need to learn how to work smarter, not harder. And that your savior is in your approach to, to prioritizing, planning, and efficiency. The world tells us that we need to think that time is money. But there's a big difference between time and money in that if you waste some money, you can earn it back. But once we waste our time, we never get it back. Well, I have good news for you. The Bible says there is a clear way out of all of this. Are you in? The biblical counsel shows us that there is a clear way out of all of this, this treadmill. And uh, so Christian and I are embarking on a four-part series called Recapturing Your Time. This is not a time management series. We are not going to commit ourselves to teaching you how to get more done in less time. In fact, 
at the end of this series, we hope that you will embrace a biblical view that you will get less done in more time. You still in? Managing our time is important, and the Bible says so. If you really want to get biblical counsel on time management, just keep reading the book of Proverbs. Just keep reading. You will trip over time verses all the time. And God will speak to you about the use of your time. But that's not what we're talking about in these four weeks. We're talking about something a whole lot bigger. We're talking that managing our time is important, but only, only if first all of our time is surrendered totally to the will of God for our lives. That's where it begins, if you want to recapture your time. So do you want to? I'm asking you one more time. This is your chance. i got other stuff I can talk about. You want off the treadmill? Would you like to be freed from the anxiety of performance? Well, that's what God wants for us. Father, we invite you to come now in the power of your Holy Spirit and speak to us now. Let your word come to life. We're stuck, Lord. We're stuck in a culture of performance, culture of demands. We never get our work done. It never stops, Lord. And we need you. Our children are stretched in nine directions. Our thoughts are not yours. And so we invite you to come, Father, in these messages, these teachings that you have inspired in, in Christian and in myself, and, 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 and to bring your Holy Spirit into this place, God, that we can, we can come to the place of, of living according to your plan for our time. I, I just pray, God, for the person who is just worn out. They're just exhausted. They just are barely squeezing in church this morning, and they're going to be working this afternoon, or even if they're not at work, they're going to be working. And, and God, I just pray for the people who are just caught up on this purposeless treadmill, just the same scenery, just like Fred Flintstone running along with the scenery, just the same scenery, just changing behind him, God. Would you help that person? Would you come in the power of your Holy Spirit? And, and show that person that you have a better plan, that you have a better way. And come in the power of your Holy Spirit and demand our surrender. Demand our surrender, God. Bring out the big guns and demand our surrender. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, your first bit of counsel from the Bible for recapturing your time is all the way in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Anybody get that far yet? Come on, have you got that far yet? Raise a hand there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, much of what Christian read for us just a few moments ago. And if you look at the Genesis account, these seven days of creation, as it said, you know, there's such a rhythm. There's such a rhythm to the thing. And God is telling us something so much more than about water and light and sky and animals and, and people. He's telling us so much more. There's a revelation of a rhythm of the Spirit in this first chapter, in the beginning of the second chapter, that you cannot miss. miss and it's where you begin to recapture your time. Because God is a God of rhythm, is he not? 
Have you noticed? You look at all creation has rhythm to it. I mean, if you think about the larger thing with the seasons, there's rhythm. And you're really counting on spring, aren't you? Aren't you? You're, you're not worried that it's not going to come. You're counting on spring coming in a few months and for the weather to be warm and the birds to be chirping and all, because there's rhythm that God has said, I am faithful to the rhythm. And if you've ever been to the shore, how many of you just love the tides, right? And it goes out and you just go, out, hey, look at you, just pick stuff up and throw starfish back in the water, whatever your thing is. And, and, and it's just amazing. And then the next thing you know, it's back again with a rhythm. There's so many rhythms. The rhythm of the human body, the beat of the heart, the consistent rhythm of systole, diastole, again and again and again and again and again. It's so rhythmic. The breaths that we take are so rhythmic. The way we walk. That's my walk. It's so rhythmic, right? It's rhythmic. There's just rhythm in the way that God... And then God called the people, his people, Israel, to rhythm. To these three major festivals of the year. And that they would just come and re-celebrate. And we did that before. Yeah, I know, it's rhythm. We're going to do it again. And there's just rhythm in the Bible. And I think part of the problem that we're having as, a, as an American contemporary culture is that we have rejected the rhythm of God. We have rejected the rhythm of God and we have embraced, we have embraced a substitute. We have traded in our birthright for a mess of pottage. And we're wondering why we're out of gas all the time. Well, in this Genesis chapter 1, the first thing I want you to notice is just what I'm calling the evening-morning relationship. Have you ever noticed this before as you're reading through that, you know, God said, let there be light, and there was light, etc., and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then the second day, let there be an expanse between the waters. He separates things out, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And then the third day came, and there was evening, and there was morning. And then the fourth day came, and there was evening, and there was morning. And you just keep going on through the sixth day, and then there was evening, and there was morning. Doesn't that strike you a little bit weird? That God sets up his day backwards, doesn't he? There's evening, and there's morning. Are we not so conditioned to think of it just the reverse? That a day is morning and evening. Well, that's how we're conditioned to think. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not how the Bible says we were created to think. And it makes a difference. It makes a big difference in how we view time and whether we have time for God. There was evening and there was morning. And for example, the day for the Israelites always began at sundown. And so their celebration of their weekly Sabbath or the celebration of their annual festivals began on a certain day at sundown. So what we would call a Saturday Sabbath actually began at sundown on Friday night and went through until sundown on Saturday. And that was the completion of a day. It's the way God made them, and it was, it was tied to their confident belief that God was beginning his work in them when they went to sleep. God is beginning the work of the day when you go to sleep. He's not replenishing energy that you spent during the day. He's giving you energy for the next day. 
makes a little difference to some of you, doesn't it, when you think about it, in just how you perceive time. And uh, so they would wake up in the morning, and they would ask God, what did you do? What did you do while I was sleeping? What's going to roll out today for the rest of the day until sundown? It's a paradigm shift, is it not? To think that you go to bed at night and going, thank you for a new day. <laughs> it sounds odd, doesn't it? But it's exactly how God taught his people to think and live. They put their head down at night and they said, oh, another day. Another new day. And then they woke up the next morning and they go, what do you want to do for the rest of the day, Lord? Because they knew that God was working in them while they slept. Now, think about what God can do in us when we're sleeping that's more difficult when we're awake. Because when we're asleep, we can't resist, can we? How many of you have ever had surgery? And they said, count backwards from 10. And you re maybe remember nine, right? Isn't that odd? And you just drift off to sleep. And they can do whatever they want, right? Is this a little messed up? They can do whatever they want while you're asleep. Well, this is the matter that's being discussed with us in Genesis chapter 1. When you go to sleep, you're saying, do whatever you want with me. Because I won't be ready for the rest of the day unless we have this time. I won't be ready to act until I first surrender to you and trust you. Is that making a little sense? All right. So the rhythm of the spirit then becomes 12 commas and a period. 12 commas and a period. When you read through the creation account, there was evening comma, morning comma, evening you getting this? Evening, morning. Six times, which makes how many commas? Good. Twelve. Two times six is? Two times six is? I knew you were there. It's twelve. Twelve commas and then a period. Because on the seventh day, God did what? He stopped. Now, was God tired? <laughs> of course not. But God said... On the seventh day, I want everything to stop, and I want you to come to me. It's a day that is holy to me, and I want you to come to me. And I want you to, I want you to get ready for the coming 12 commas. And you got to stop in order to do that. Okay. Now, so the period means stop, and that's Sabbath, and I'm going to talk more about that next, next Sunday. But today I'd like for us just to focus on the commas. Twelve commas. One in the evening, the next one in the morning. One in the evening, the next one in the morning. Now, musicians know what commas mean. Musicians know that comma means what? A vocalist, what does it mean when you see a comma on the, on the, on the score? Take a breath. Take a breath. That's what a comma means. It means breathe. Stop working. Stop straining. Stop thinking about whether you're on key. Stop everything for this millisecond and take a breath. The Germans call it Luftpause. I practiced the pronunciation. 
Luftpause. Luft means air. Pause means pause. Take an air break. Take, just take an air break. Just stop singing and breathe. This is what a comma is meant to signify. And so with two commas every day, evening and morning, we're meant to stop. Stop striving twice a day and breathe in the Holy Spirit. Breathe in God. Take a breath. Take a breath. And let your work then flow from that. Let your time decisions flow from that. Let the use of the time flow from that breath until it's time to take the next breath. But twice a day, evening and then morning, you are called by God, if you want to recapture your time, surrendering to his rhythm, you, you just want to breathe. Now, this is going to come as really good news for some of you. Because uh, my wife Karen is not a morning person. And uh, if she had her way, life, she is a night person. She's a very hard worker. Don't get me wrong. But life would start at about 10 in the morning. That's when she'd wake up and would go to about 2 in the morning. Does anybody, can anybody relate to that? Right? Some of you, that's just how you're geared, right? Now, I'm not an evening person. Those of you in my home group or various groups we're in together know that about 8 o'clock, I'm pretty much vacant, right? I pretend like I'm listening. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, because by 9 o'clock, I'm gone. Right? And so we're wired differently in this regard. And the thing is, is I've done a lot of teaching over the years about getting up early and praying your prayers, right? And uh, Mark 1.35, you know how many hundreds of times have I lifted that up to you very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. By golly, don't you want to be like Jesus? Get up in the morning and pray your prayers, right? And uh, so uh, it's come up a time or two in conversation with Karen over the years, both in person, person to person and in small groups. That ain't fair. <laughs> that ain't fair. Some of you have a distinct advantage because y'all get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. That's when your clock says time to get up and off you go with your Jesus. And you know what I feel like at 5 o'clock in the morning? I have no idea. I'm still asleep. And she says, that's just not fair. You're making all that fuss about getting up in the... She doesn't actually talk like this at all, but it's just... You know, you're making all that fuss about getting up early in the morning, that that's the way to do it. And... Uh, it turns out, and I'm just saying this in front of Karen for the first time in my life, that there's as much reference, honey, in the Bible for evening uh, connection with God as morning. Uh, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 63. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary, and I, I beheld your power and glory, but because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And he goes on, and in verse 6 he says, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. That's David. Now, David was a double dipper because he also said, early will I seek thee, right? So you got that going on. <laughs> but I'm just saying that 
you know, my practice in the first comma in the evening, as I lie in bed at night, I just have the briefest, briefest moments with God. And I, I, just, uh, I just take a breath. And it's, it's quiet. It's completely silent to anyone outside. It's personal. And I just thank God. I'm going to trust you while I sleep. I'm not going to worry about a bad guy breaking in. I'm not going to worry about, I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm just going to go under your natural anesthesia now that you've created in me. I'm going to go to sleep. And I want you to work in me tonight. Okay, That's so brief. And then I get up the next morning. Hey, and that's when I read scripture. That's when I worship God. That's when I pray the big time. And it's, it's longer, much longer, obviously, and much more active. You know, I don't feel like when I go to bed at night, I have to take my guitar with me and lay in bed and, you know, and sing to the Lord. Because my, my personal rhythm is I'm a morning person, and so when's the best time to take the deep breath? That's the morning, right? Now, by contrast, if you are an evening person, then why don't you just take a, take a shallow breath in the morning, right? And just say, ah, oh, okay, we're up. Yep, let's go. I'll breathe you in here, God, here we go. And then when it comes evening time, why don't you have your time? Why don't you lock the door? And why don't you read the scriptures? And why don't you pray your prayers? And why don't you worship God? And I'm just uh, setting you nighttime people free, in the name of Jesus, from all the teaching that I've given over the years about you better get up in the morning and do this because I've come to a discovery recently in my wise age. And that is that my world is not necessarily the world. Hmm. So I respect you nighttime people, but I'm just saying you still should do it. <laughs> you know, get out your Bible, get out your devotional. I'm, I'm in love with so many devotionals. We're so blessed in this season of history to have so many daily devotional options. And, uh, you know, spend your time in the evening. Please, there's really no excuse for not taking a deep breath with God sometime during the day is what I'm saying. Now, one of your breaths may, will likely be deeper than the other. But to pause and to breathe is, how, is really how we get back into the rhythm of the Spirit. Does that make sense? It's a pretty easy concept, isn't it? a pretty straightforward concept just to start by ordering our days around those two breaths now you got to go to work you got to spend some 40 or so of your 168 hours a week earning your living for most of you i get that and you're not in control of that time necessarily but i think with some with with some some thinking some praying you can pattern two great breaths into your day every day. And as I mentioned already, we'll get to the period, the stop next week. So will you do it? Will you surrender to the rhythm of the Spirit, or are you going to keep trying to get enough time management training so that you can figure out how to get more into less time?
Where are you going to be a year from now, time-wise, schedule-wise, anxiety, stress-wise, if you don't do it? Will you surrender to it? Will you surrender to the, the rhythm of the Spirit? Will you purposely and thoughtfully take two deep breaths of God each day? Because this is, this is where the recapturing of your time begins. This is a new concept for some of you. Maybe not for all of you, for sure, but it's a new concept, and it's where the recapture of your time begins. And I want you to notice something. In doing this, I'm not asking you to commit yourself to more. I'm not saying you got to figure out how to squeeze some God time into your already overscheduled life or your... I'm just saying, could you just step back from your whole schedule and say, nothing really matters except for those two commas. And we'll get to the period next week. Because the world keeps saying what? More, more, faster, faster. And when the Lord says what? Hey, slow your roll, big boy. That's how I hear him. You really think you're accomplishing anything more by going so fast? By being everywhere? Slow your roll. <laughs> this is the expectation of the one that many of you call Lord. And in Luke 6, 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Can you show me a single place in the Bible where Jesus seemed to be in any kind of a hurry? Remember that Mark 135 thing that I've been beating you up with for 25 years? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It's a great example. You remember what he was doing the night before that caused him to do that? He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. People from the city town were coming to him, coming to, coming to him. He got up before anybody else got up. He says, I got to get out of here. The disciples look for him. In the next few verses, it says they found him. They said, Lord, what are you doing out here? The show's still on. We got people lining up for you back there. And you know what his answer was? Nah, I'm good. No, I'm not going back there. I have other places I need to be. <laughs> he said, no, I am not going to let the tyranny of the urgent rule my life. This is the example of our Lord. The one who said, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Culture will fight you until your last breath on this way of thinking. It'll say you only go around once in life, you gotta grab for all the gusto you can. Newsflash, there's not just one life. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. The Bible says that through the blood of Christ our sins are forgiven and our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from heaven, an eternal house, built by God, not by men. We are going to live forever. So how many of the things that we're trying to fit in now don't matter anymore if we truly adopt the perspective of God? Why am I stressed out about that of all things? 
The decision I'm asking you to make this morning is not, am I going to figure out how to squeeze some more God time into my already jammed schedule? The decision I'm asking you to make is, am I going to surrender all of my time to the Lord and begin ordering it around the 12 commas in a period? It's a full surrender. There's one more thing I need to tell you about the comma in musical notation. There's another, there's another term for the comma. Are you ready for this? I was blown away when I read this. It's called a grace rest. I <laughs> know, right? A Luftpause is a grace rest. It's like you're working so hard singing this song. Here's some grace. Boom. It's just a, just a little flash of grace, isn't it, Don? It's just like, but it's grace. And now you work. And then you come back to the next comma. The Luftpause. The air of God, the Holy Spirit. That's what these commas are for, evening and morning. Will you surrender to it? Because in doing it, you're really surrendering to Jesus Christ as Lord. You're saying, okay, that's a new concept of time for me, but it's what it is. I'm calling you Lord, and I'm going to surrender to it. There's one more matter of surrender that I want to speak to just a few of you about, and it's this. That before you can surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord, you have to surrender to him as your Savior. That before it makes any sense to say, you're my Lord, you have to come into relationship with him through what he did for you on the cross, personally. No grandchildren. That's for you to do. No second-generation believers. You're not saved because you're in church this morning. You're just in church this morning. You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And that's a matter for every person to come to personally. It begins by surrendering to the salvation that God is offering you through his son, Jesus Christ, by saying, yes, I'm ready. I want to ask Jesus Christ into my life as my Savior. I surrender, to, I surrender to this reality that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. I surrender to this truth that Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. And right now, right here, I want to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life as my Savior. And that's the first step before you're ever going to be able to surrender to him as Lord. It's in that first step that you'll experience his love his forgiveness, his grace, and, and it'll give you this giant motivation to say, okay, now I want to live as you want me to live. So two people this morning. If you're a believer, if you've surrendered to Jesus as Savior and you want to surrender to him as Lord, I want to invite you to come. If you're a person here who realizes I have not yet surrendered to Jesus as my Savior. And you'd like to do that. It's such a more personal matter, and I'm just going to ask Pastor Christian to stand over here by the side and to be ready to greet you. You just come up to him, even if you just have questions about it. Christian and myself, in so many ways, if you're not a believer, you're the most important person in the room to us. <laughs> and I just urge you just to make your walk over there and say, Here's my question about it, or here's what I'm ready to do. 
he's a super nice guy. He'll treat you really well. So church, shall we stand and just worship the Lord and let's respond to this call of his lordship on us. If you'd like to just publicly draw a line in the sand and just say, I want to come up now. I want to worship from the front up here in the river and say that Jesus is Lord of my life. Then come on up and join us, please.